0: You are listening to the weekly sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church in Canton, South Dakota. We're a church that strives to make disciples of Jesus Christ who make a difference. To learn more, visit us at cantonsdumc.org. And now, here's Pastor Clay. Our scripture this morning comes to us from the Gospel of John in chapter 13, the reason why we've been talking about feet all day during church. i reading verses 1-5 through 5 and then 12-17, through 17, and I read this morning from the New Revised Standard Version. took off his outer robe and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. After he had washed their feet, had put on his robe, and had returned to the table, he asked them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. And so if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. Very truly I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Would you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you. For you, O God, are our rock, and you are our redeemer. And we give you thanks for who you are as we say together, amen. So my hometown of Gregory, South Dakota has the coolest little coffee shop slash boutique in the town. It's the old, um, the old, the old Photoshop, um, and it is called Spring Coffee Company. And aside from the coffee itself, itself and their chicken and wild rice soup, my favorite thing about Spring Coffee Company is a little sign on the wall on the back of their drink preparation area, and the sign says... From Mary Oliver's poem, The Summer Day, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? I notice it every single time I am there, and it almost takes my breath away every time. I love that quotation so much. What is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? There is so much truth in this little statement. We, The fact of the matter is, is that we do indeed have just this one precious life. Whether it's not it's wild is entirely up to you. I, mine's pretty boring, but anyway. The season of Lent opens us up to ask this same question. The season of Lent opens us up to ask a question kind of like Mary Oliver's. What is it that you're going to do with your life? What are you going to do with your life that will bring a sense of fulfillment? What is the goal and purpose of your existence? When the role is called up yonder, as the hymnist says, what do you hope you will have accomplished with this one wild and precious life? And just like we saw last week with the question that we asked around where is God in the midst of hard times, it feels like the potential answers are endless. And it feels like the potential answers can change as we change of our seasons of life. Younger people can feel fulfilled if they are loved and cared for. And actually, come to think of it, I think all of us can feel fulfilled when we are loved and cared for. Teenagers might feel fulfillment of that sense of freedom or their first paycheck or their first vehicle. Adults can find their fulfillment in their families or in their houses or in their job. We can all find a sense of fulfillment in a job well done. Sometimes all we need to feel fulfilled are the basic necessities for life. And like, none of these are bad ways to feel fulfilled, by the way, but I think that Lent invites us to think bigger. What is it we hope will bring a sense of fulfillment to our one wild and precious life? Throughout the Gospels, it seems that the disciples found some sense of fulfillment in their status. And unfortunately, in a couple of different instances, this went to their heads. And like, I understand because they were following the Messiah, the Messiah, it can be a really easy to feel pretty important and to find some status in that. But there were a couple of times when it just went to their heads. After the first time that Jesus told his disciples what must happen at the end of his life, that the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem and be rejected and suffer and die and rise again, Peter was so put off by that that he pulled Jesus aside and rebuked him. Peter could not handle it, so he pulled Jesus aside and rebuked him. Can you imagine rebuking? the literal son of god i know i can't the disciples from time to time argued about greatness amongst themselves and who would be greatest in the fullest expression of the kingdom of god and one time jesus asked them hey what are you all talking about and they got real quiet real fast And like Jesus knew, but the disciples did not have the same level of confidence that they had before they realized, oh, Jesus heard that. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, made a request of Jesus that they sit at his right hand and left hand in the kingdom of God. And if that wasn't crazy enough, they even had their mommy ask too. Simon the Zealot was a part of a political party that thought that fulfillment would come when Jesus, when Jesus kicked the Romans out of, the, out of Israel and the kingdom of God came in its fullest expression. But what I find so interesting about Jesus is that every time something like that happened, Jesus had his way of reorienting his disciples. And Jesus had his way of redefining the way that things should be. When Peter rebuked Jesus, Jesus reminded them that their entire call was to take up their cross and follow. When the disciples disputed their greatness, Jesus took a child, placed it among them, and said, Have faith like this one. When James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and when their mother made this crazy request, the other ten found out, and they fought amongst themselves even more, and Jesus restored calm and order by teaching them that if any of them wanted to be great, they had to become a servant. Because the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. When Simon, and Jesus, or when Simon and the other disciples implored Jesus to establish the kingdom of God in the way that they thought he should, Jesus was ascended into heaven. He literally just left. And two angels came and reminded them that they were to get to work, doing the things that Jesus told them to do and doing the things that Jesus did. So the disciples had to find their fulfillment somewhere else. And if we think anything like the disciples, so do we. What in our lives will bring us fulfillment? And nowhere In Scripture, does Jesus answer this question any clearer than in John 13? On the night that Jesus was was betrayed, he gathered with his disciples in an upper room. And during the course of that time together, Jesus took off his outer robe and knelt before his disciples and washed their feet. And like, let's just be honest, this was not a job for Jesus to do. This was not a job for a rabbi with disciples. It was the job for the disciples. This was not a job for the Messiah in a group of people who knew he was the Messiah. Every single commentary that I read this week pointed out that this job of washing feet was so menial, was seen as so lowly, that not even Jewish slaves had to do it. It was reserved for the Gentiles. Don't even send a slave, don't even send a servant, send a Gentile, they're even lower than the slaves. And like, as a Gentile, ouch, but I get it. But yet Jesus did this job. Yet Jesus washed his feet. As the disciples entered that room and as the disciples assembled around the table, Jesus did this menial task, this degrading job, willingly and on purpose. And then Jesus turned to his beloved and bewildered friends and said, do you know what I have done for you? And it wasn't just because Jesus was about to redefine their relationship. Jesus was giving them an example to follow. He was prepared to do what no one else wanted to do. Then he challenged the disciples to do the same thing. If they were to follow him, and if we are to follow him, we get to do the same thing. We get to wash feet. In this manner, we bear witness to him. In this manner, we bear witness to the heart of our faith, which is service. The unfortunate part is that this world that we live in has decided that service and servant and serving are so far beneath us. And just as Jesus reorients his disciples, so too do we need reorientation. Because a servant does not mean lowly. A servant does not mean less than. There is no negative connotation here. A servant is someone who knows what they want to do with their one wild and precious life. A servant is someone that has a clear purpose for their existence, a clear agenda, that agenda being to lift someone else up, to love someone else, to care for someone else, to attend to the needs of the other. In washing the disciples' feet, Jesus lifts up this idea of servant to a profound and purposeful level. Jesus gives to his disciples and gives to you and me an example to follow, a model to follow, then and now and always. And when we are tempted to find our fulfillment in something else, in something other than serving others, let us look to the example of Jesus. Let us picture the Son of God with a towel around his waist, washing the the feet of his friends. Let us again hear the words of Jesus inviting us to this meal that proclaims his death until he comes. And let us again feel the challenge that Jesus gives to all of his disciples to go and do likewise. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you have set an example for us to follow that we would be servants. You did it by washing feet. And we still do that sometimes. But enlarge our minds, inspire our hearts, motivate our hands to serve you in the world as you have called us to serve, to love you in the world as you have called us to love and to constantly and consistently look for more and more ways to be of greater service to those around us. This is the work you have for us to do, and this is the work that will fulfill our lives. We thank you for who you are, how you love us, and how you call us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church. Join us in person or online at 10 o'clock every Sunday morning for worship. And now go in peace and serve the Lord. I want to encourage you after the message to head over to our YouTube channel and click the subscribe button. Over on YouTube, you will find videos of our entire worship service, a video cast of our weekly Cut for Time conversation with Pastor Clay and Eric, songs from our praise band One Way Up, and a bunch of other great things as well. Just search for Canton United Methodist Church. It would mean a lot to have you subscribe.